I'm uh, Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, thank you, Becky, for reading the scripture. Thank you, praise team, for giving us the morning worship workout. I appreciate all of that. And, um, you know, lot, lot, we've been talking lately about our sabbatical, and um, just, I think it's important um, for me to kind of explain a little bit as we go and get ready for March to kind of condition our hearts. We're working and kind of condition our hearts for um, this as well. You know, when you've done ministry for almost 25 years and not really taken any kind of break like this, it's just sort of weird. Um, You're kind of, it's, Kelly described it as surreal. And as the congregation, um, for many of you, I mean, I've been leading this congregation for 17 straight years now, and um, it's going to be weird for you guys too, um, and, but it's going to be good, right? Um, and just a little tidbit, I give little tidbits every week, um, and as we get closer to the time, I may even preach um, more into it. But, um, you know, we, we are gathering. I praise God for the money that has been raised. And we have a sabbatical team, you guys. So these are people who are committed, who wrote, wrote the grant. And, you know, we didn't get the grant, but wrote the plan for the sabbatical with not just me and Kelly in mind and the boys, but also this congregation. Um, the plans for the sabbatical are not our own. Um, they are uh, suggestions and talking to experts about what should be done. And so this isn't like, hey, here's this money we raise. Y'all do what y'all want. No, um, this is we want you guys to be cared for. Um, there is a line of therapists and counselors and folk who are helping spiritually guide us and direct us and discipline us. And I, I pray the same for you um, as well. Um, uh, people have given money um, along with that uh, as we are working to secure places to retreat. Um, I praise God that a few people have offered like homes and timeshares and we're just piecing together uh, places to go and feel free to offer those things as well if you don't, you know, just to help us figure out where to go to retreat, to have time to do a lot of these things away from home. Um, and so just a little tidbit here. Um, one of the most influential people in my life was my aunt, and I called her Annie. And Annie, if you've heard my sermons, I've probably used her many times as an illustration. She's already gone on to be with the Lord, but um, growing up, I remember her cooking these huge meals. And she would never eat. And I asked her about it. Why don't you eat while we're eating? And she said, my food is watching y'all eat. Like, I just enjoy serving. You know, and as a kid, you're like, wow, that's awesome. Keep, keep cooking, Annie. Right? You're just a kid. You just, like, keep bringing that food. Um, and then later in life, I realized that oftentimes she would just snack along the way, never really sit down right? Um, not take time for herself. Um, nobody ever cooked for Annie, it seemed. But as a kid, you're like, that's great. <laughs> Please, nobody else cook. <laughs> Annie's so good, right? Um, and it also meant that she ate late. I remember, right? Her plate would be beside her bed. She would fall asleep after eating. It was so late. Everybody would be gone. Um, and I remember thinking over time, that can't be healthy. Right? You don't think that when you're a kid, when you tell these good stories about your aunt cooking. 
I want you to know that we, we met with a couple, a ministry couple um, that we knew, knew to us. And they said, hey, after just talking to y'all for about 30 minutes, y'all are too tired to even know how to manage your own lives. We see it in you. You're gifted. You know, you can pull it off every morning. You can do it. Kelly can get up there and sing. You can get up there and preach. You just gift gliding on fumes. And you don't have enough to pour into yourself and others. And so I just wanted to drop that uh, to you guys because it's been a pleasure. It gives me joy to get up here every week uh, to lead you guys. It's, it's like food to me. And I can actually keep going just enjoying serving you as if I'm getting fueled by that. But I'm not paying attention on the other end. And, uh, you know, 17 and 18 year old now that they're becoming adults, uh, young, young men, um, they ain't adults yet. They ain't doing nothing. They ain't paying nothing. But it's like, <laughs> sorry, I'm old school. They, uh, they just grown children. And so, um, and they always will be probably to us, but uh, it's beginning to come out. Wow. They got neglected here and here and here. And regardless of whether you're in ministry or not, just a little this is free right here about parenting. Yep. One day your kids, if you have children, if you have children or you have relationships, it will get to a point where you're like, oh my gosh, we neglected. And you have to trust God, right? So I thank you guys for this. And the reason I'm going to give tidbits is I want you to journey with us on the sabbatical. This is not ours. This is yours as much as it is ours. Um, so that was it. That was free. Um, don't count that towards my sermon time either. He sure preached long. Nope. I did a little sabbatical tidbit. That's different than the sermon. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. And I hope and I pray to you, uh, first of all, a happy new year as we now return um, to our sermon series through Samuel after taking a little Christmas sermon break. Um, and now we're going to look at the second half of chapter 7. We looked at the first half the last time we preached. Uh, and this is commonly, chapter 7 is commonly referred to as the Davidic Covenant. Right? God's promise, his promises in, in, in connection and contract with David, which is a prayer and promise session going on between David and God, King David and God. God making the promises and then David responding with thanks and prayer. And, and last time we heard God's spoken promise. And today we get to see David's response. And when I began reading this, especially at the beginning, um, just from the way our passage starts, it puts us in the right mindset, hopefully. Um, not only to understand this passage, but to better accept, accept the, the promises of God that we can know things will get better. You see, David's initial response to God's promises is, you know, is this sort of, no God, you the man, right? Uh, back and forth, I ain't nothing and nothing much without you. And as one of the greatest success stories in the Bible, rising from a shepherd to become the most celebrated king in Israeli history. I want you to know this is not a lip service, you know, all love man, right? Hashtag blast tweet of false humility. No, see, David is saying something very important for us before we get into this passage. He is saying, my success, being successful and prosperous, my doing okay by worldly standards is not the point and motivation of my prayer and gratitude in our covenant relationship. 
He is helping us see that, that central to contentment and happiness, as in Happy New Year, is not and cannot be how hyped and successful we are. But rather, as he says, how you, Lord, use work and shine through the circumstances of my life as king, just like you did when I was a shepherd boy. I say that because already in this new year, we have put a big burden on 2021. And ourselves. We have with the emergence of the vaccine and in the beginning of a new presidential administration for some, not all. We are beginning to tell ourselves that 2021 will be better to us. It better be better to us. And we will be better in it. We, we, we tell ourselves something like this at the beginning and end of every year, even though this is more of an exaggerated situation because all that goes on. That, ooh, child, things will get easier, right? And for most of us, unfortunately, 99% of what a happy new year is all about is only based on how our lives are flourishing in ways that we in the world measure according to our personal and American standards. But what if things get worse for us, for you, for our country, personally, financially? What if things get worse politically and socially? Will it still be a happy and hopeful new year? I mean, how can we know things are going to get better? How can we have hope going into a space we're not sure is going to get better? Who better, when better is so up and down based on our ever-changing circumstances and measurements of good and happy, the gospel, the message of God's love and care and salvation through Christ for mankind is giving us an opportunity to take and see happy and have a happy new year at a new level. And different place. David in verse 19 of our passage explains that better and happy. is primarily about the Lord's plan and purpose for humankind. Not on things that I cannot be sure about. My, my family's or nation's individual and momentary success. Those things we can't know and take hope in, he's saying. But we can know and take hope in a few things that we'll explore today. First, we can and must know God as the Lord. Secondly, we see here that we can and must know we are his. And finally, we can and must know there is our Redeemer. The all-time, all-time greatest, probably most said prayer by children across this nation and maybe world for as long as I can remember is the grace at meals that starts out this way, right? Many of you know it. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food, right? And on and on. 
And yet this simple prayer of God being good and God being great, right, right, is basically, in this long passage here, is basically David's response to what God has given and promised to him and his people and the world. That God, you are good and you are great. What does it mean first to be good? Look with me, if you will, at verse 21 in our passage. It says here, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You know, if if your milk or gravy goes bad, right, what happens? The term used with, with gravy that don't work out right is it breaks, right? You got a broken gravy. I always have broken gravy. Right? It it, it separates, right? If the meat goes bad, it means that some kind of foreign substance has invaded it and turned it against itself. It's turned, as they say, and not good for those who would eat it. David is saying who you are, and throughout this passage, not just verse uh, 21, but throughout this passage, he's saying who you are and what you do and say are never separated from each other. You never break like a bad gravy or or like milk can. You never spoil on your promises, right? We can always open the carton, pour it, and it's going to be okay. We can always smell it, and it's going to be right. That you are the same through and through regardless of the temperature, regardless of human error. If we leave you out or forget you or leave you behind or leave you in the heat, guess what? You don't go stale on who you are. There's no turning in you in the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? There is no foreign bad substance in you. You are authentic and true in all you do, and you will do what you say you will do. Because as David says here, your promises, verse 21, are connected to what? Your heart. Which means this, all you have said and promised is the true and full and authentic expression of who you are. Unlike you and me, human beings, where we can say one thing and do another, right? Welcome to the South. We can treat people one way and truly feel another in our hearts. Bless your heart, right? The Lord can be trusted at face value. That the face and revelation he gives us in his word is exactly who he is and will do. God is good for it. And good with it. And good as it. Let me say this. David is saying God alone is good. Right? For, 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 for making things better according to his promises of who he says he is and what he says he's going to do. Some of our credit scores are not as high as they should be. You know why? Because you've proven you ain't good for it. (laughs) 
right? Or, or couldn't control. Here's another part. Maybe you weren't good for it, but you couldn't control your circumstances or impulses or what goes on in a broken world. Maybe you lost your job. You had to charge up stuff, you, but you didn't have the power or, or control enough to be good for the low balance managing and payment promises. The Lord is God and thus good because he never fails to be good and nothing in this world could ever stop him from being good. He does not make promises. He won't follow or can't follow through or pay on. Let me say this. The Lord of the Bible, the God of the Bible is the most real person you and I should and could ever trust, right? And the outward expression, hear this, of that goodness, right, is what we can describe and David describes here as the Lord's greatness. Let me say that again. The outward expression of God's goodness, of who he is, in this passage, David describes as the Lord's greatness. Look again at verse 21 that we just read. It says here, uh, because of your promise, according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according, besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. See, God is and would be good just existing. He was good before we could know. <laughs> He existed in perfect and good divine glory and personal communion before and without us. But God wanted to express his goodness in and to the world as a show and manifestation of his greatness, revealing himself to us, pouring his goodness on us, sharing himself with us. I mean, think about the Bible. That's why David says you've made us to hear it. That we know greatness because we've been made to hear it. Think about what the Bible is, right? And if you didn't know, did you know this is a living, active artifact and tool of God's goodness? It not only tells us God is good and why and how. And think artifact like the sci-fi movie. We found the artifact and it still has power in it, right? We found the tesseract, right? The, the artifact, right? Okay, enough. But it not only tells us God is good and why and how and a bunch of knowledge, right? Man, this is really some good stuff. No, the mere fact that it's God's powerful words to us is great. And it's about his greatness. What does it mean? It fills our ears and hearts and world with truth. The word by God's spirit is actually touching us with goodness so that great things happen in our lives and world through it. Greatness. God's greatness is the power, purpose, and love of God happening in a fallen and broken world of people. And it is an unstoppable force for you and me and anything 2020 brought and left and 2021 could ever bring. It is unstoppable, right? God's greatness is unstoppable. Why? Because the Lord is good and the Lord is God and God is great. And this greatness, the expression of God's goodness happens within 
relationship. I've heard this a number of times. When people seek to adopt a child or find a friend or help someone or seek a romantic partner even. They say, I have so much love to give, right? I just, I just want to share it with someone else. And oftentimes it does start that way. One way, unconditional desire to pour out, to give love, to express passion out of your heart to someone else. How true must this be for a good God who is great? Look at verse 23. It says here, and who is like, after he talks about his goodness and greatness, what's he say? Who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God, gods. And look at this. And you establish for yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O oh Lord, became their God. God's goodness and greatness has been specifically directed towards a love interest. An adopted group. A cherished and desired people. God's people who are now the church that can know, right? We can know things will get and are better if we know and are known as his. His people and his possession. When I was in the band, you know, I was played the trumpet. High school. There was one person on the, um, uh, in the band. She wasn't too good at the trumpet. And she would play, burr, 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 come out like, sounding like that. And as soon as she would hit a bad note, she would take the trumpet and look at it. <laughs> hit it. <laughs> right? And, 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 and I remember one time our band director took it. It was like, it's fine. And every time. I mean, of course, she was trying to save face, right? But then we think, like, when we say, see somebody like Wynton Marsalis play, Right? We don't say, I got to get down to the um, band's shop and get me that trumpet. Do we? We don't do that. We don't say, if I got that trumpet, woo, I'm going to sound like Winton Marsalis. No, you won't. You won't even look like him. Right? Because you can't hold it right. You don't know what to do. There comes a point where we say, Wow. Look at the relationship this great artist has with his instrument. Look how he makes it work. Look, look how his love for this trumpet and this music comes through. You see, God has a people to do what? To express his greatness and goodness through as he shows himself in his love to them. You know what the best feeling is, especially this time of year? To hear my wife get a compliment because of something I bought her. Right? Well, I'm not even there. I'm just, in, just hearing it. Man, that looked good. And then she says, girl, Howard picked this out and bought this. 
or he took us here or there. Why? Because, yes, it looks good on her, but it's praise and glory to me, right? I did it. She looked good. She's she looking fine with whatever she got because I bought it, right? And, and, and then, you know, we get, that's the good side, right? And then the hard side is the reason they, I'm not looking good or feeling good is you ain't pouring out love. And it's true, Right? There was some of y'all, I mean, we, we used to make a joke. It's not a joke, though. Why you, why, why you people, why your friends? Not even your wife, right? Why your friends and everybody looking so beat down? Right? Why are they looking so nappy by life? Right? What's wrong with them? Looking all ashy looking, right? What's wrong with them? I'm talking emotionally, not in sometimes physically. Be, because you ain't love. They ain't feeling the love. Why are the people of God beautiful? Because he loves them. He's chosen a people to get and experience his blessings and sincere and authentic love in a way that it and they can't help but give praise and glory to him and reflect that in the world. The people of God are the worshipers, meaning they display and wear in their lives the riches of the love and grace of God in the world. Now, we use the term missional, and we use the term evangelism, and we use the term outreach. And in so many ways, it's true. We need to actually step out and say something or do something. But don't you know that that, that, that idea of evangelism is optimized by God's people living in his glory and grace as he pours out in them as the church? (laughs) Wow, that woman looked good. You know she got a husband or something like, you know what I'm saying? Look, and especially the dudes. If a dude looking put together, chances are his woman put him together, right? Look, I didn't come into the marriage a man. No, I didn't. And let me say, I'm not going to put everything on marriage. I'm just using marriage because it's a great metaphor of God in this church, right? But even in your friendships, you're not a good friend until you actually have a friend. As a matter of fact, David says about himself early on and then about Israel, God's chosen people, they ain't nothing. We didn't have anything. We didn't have any goodness or greatness within ourselves. There was no inerrant or talent. Oh, wow, you know, people get the wrong idea about salvation and God in people's lives. This is not recruiting. This is not a talent race. This isn't, hey, man, I can see how good they're going to be. No. He actually says, we were the least on the earth. You know how good we were? We were so good. We were only good enough in the world's eyes to be slaves. We were great slaves. That's it. The most powerful nation on the earth at the time looked at us and thought, good slaves. A few of them rose up, Joseph and Daniel. Yeah, there was a few cream of the crop, but most of them were cottage cheese, right? Okay. He just did it to express his goodness and love and make us his people. 
to make us beautiful, blessed, and a blessing who weren't to make us walk in glory and contentment and grace when we and they lived in a world that where there isn't any place for contentment and love because God's pouring out love makes us his. It makes us tied into a, a covenanted and willed and written into who he is. His goodness. Yes, his greatness, which means guess what? God is good. God is great. And his people are too. Now be careful. I don't mean good and great in a worldly or moral sense. But we are good. Meaning safe and covered and cared for is God's most precious possession. And you're great too. Why? Because you're living out your life under the active love and banner and covering of God whom you belong to. If you know you are his, do you know what that means? I don't care what the circumstances are. You can lift up your heads. You can lift up your hearts. You can lift up your hands in 2020 and 2021 and all that you do and all that the world does and doesn't and all the ways you are over and underwhelmed, let down and failed in 2021 and say even in death in 2021, I am still and going to be good. That yes, I will suffer and have heartache and fail and fall. But if I am his chosen people, we will be good and great because God's got a hold of me as his precious possession and I ride with him and he is inside of my life. And as his goodness and greatness go, guess what? I go and move along with it. Look again at verse 23 and 24. It says here, and who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Already told, not King David, but David Sparks, he was going to be in the sermon again. Because I'm just impressed with a dude who can fix a car like that, okay? Because that ain't me. I just want to be that. You know, kind of the man crush. Like, wow, that dude, man, he can fix stuff and do things. And when I try, I got to go back to him again, right? But when he puts new brakes on your car, afterwards is the trip. You, you gotten brakes on your car by him, David? I mean, Derek, so you know what's coming after he puts the brakes on, right? He says, let's go burn them. What? And I'm going to drive. You just buckle up. What? Really? We going to go burn them? Let's go burn the new brake pads in. When someone who knows how to do the drifting stuff, knows how to drive and sometimes goes legally, drag races, he takes possession of your car that you use to just go get groceries and go to Lowe's, Right? A good car becomes great in making donuts, right? Like, hey, let's go to this, um, this empty lot behind the um, warehouse. We're like, what are we going back there for? Right? They got groceries, right? They, they're giving away wood. What's going on? No, we're going to make some donuts. And you see your car do stuff you never thought it could do outside of the commercial, right? And I mean, I have never been afraid and awestruck in my car at the same time before. 
You're just holding on for dear life. Because the master mechanic who is a great driver has take, taken possession. This year is good and great because if you know you're his, you can know that the Lord comes to take possession and take control. But careful, it means takes us in spaces and pacing in ways that might scare us. Either because he's going too slow or he's too fast or he's pushing our lives to the brink, too shaky, as King David says here, that will make us wonder. You know what wonderment is? When, you, when, when at the same time you're amazed and scared. That's wonder. Wow, this is great. Oh, right. Well, you're questioning at times. How in the world are we going to get through this? How in the world are we going to hold on? How in the world am I not going to die? How in the world am I not going to lose my faith? How in the world is our marriage going to survive this? How in the world is our friendship going to make it through? How in the world am I going to keep living emotionally? How in the world is going to happen? And then you're amazed at how God can make it work. And in that, we become more and more a reconditioned in redeemed vehicle of change for us and glory for him in the world. Why and how can you know things will be and get better? Because the good and great Lord is in control of the journey and direction of his people through last year and this year, right? And that changes everything for the good and for the great, even if things around us stay the same and get worse. Look at verse 25, moving on through this passage. And now, O Lord God, says, confirm forever the words you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established forever. I mean, established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage, right? Found faith, right? Found hope to pray this prayer, right? To, to, to feel like things are going to be better, to seek you. And now, O oh Lord, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O oh Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. One of my favorite songs is the black gospel song, Lord Do It. Y'all know about that? Okay, a couple. All right. And his chorus says, Lord, do it. Do it. Do it for me right now. And that falls right in line with another saying that has become popular among Christians. Now it's become a hashtag. Won't he do it? Y'all ever heard that? Won't he do it? And you usually say that when something worked out in your favor, favor, right? In ways that you may have been hoping and praying for and trusting for. You say, won't he do it? And that settles it, right? 
Won't he do it? Uh, but, but let me add to the do it riffs by saying the Lord did it. And hasn't he done it? Right? See, we are hoping for change, for God to do it. But David is saying we have to start first in our desire for God to change, redeem things with the fact of, of what and that God has already promised to do it. Let me go back and look closely at what it says in verse 25 with me. It says very closely, and now, O Lord, confirm, right? Confirm the word, right? Confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. Y'all see that? I sound like one of them TV people. Do as has, you know, and all that. Okay, one of them preachers on TV. Sorry. I guess I am now. All right. No. No, I'm not that. I want to live long. So here's the deal. Let's face it. This, let's face it. This time of year, we all want redemption right we we want a stimulus package for what 2020 did to us I want the big one too right I don't want the 600 one I want the 2000 one right I want the big one we all do right especially in 2021 for 2020 but what redemption change restoration renewal is all about and will be all about this year as it happens will simply be a confirmation and continuation of what God has already promised to do how do you know that you know as the old folks used to say that things will get better even if you don't see it because God has already promised it God already set in motion redemption, not last year as if 2020 caught up with him. Oh, we need a vaccine for sin. Oh, help. Right? Oh, my gosh. People are so bad. Jesus, Holy Spirit, come on. Let's hurry up. No. Right? But it didn't catch him by surprise. But ever since God decided in eternity past to redeem a world and out of that world, you and me. Right? It was decided a long time ago. That those who have and will suffer alienation, fear, pain, sickness, death, failure, and abuse, remember the goodness thing. In eternity past... God promised within himself, remember the goodness piece, and then express and expresses it through his people that he will redeem us and guess what? Redeem this world. If God is good and great, then redemption, right? Bettering of the world and all the social injustices and all the issues and all the arguments, right? Of the world by God is happening and already and was already in motion before you hope for it. Before you prayed for it, God was already doing it and done it for you. Our prayer is a faithful and courageous response and hope to catch it, right? And, and strength and power to hold on to the preeminent redeeming work of God in the world and in our lives. See, it takes courage. It takes faith. David is saying, please, I'm praying courageously. In other words, I'm giving myself to this. I'm putting my life into your promise. Help me to be able to see it and trust it and remember it to remind each other that God is good and great and redeeming. To look and see that there was a redeemer in 2020 and now there is a redeemer in 2021. 
We celebrated, what, five years of being in the house we in now? Was it four? Okay. And I remember when we went to the model home. You remember that? Boy, we was happy. We got a vision and promise, a blueprint. You know, in the model home, they got all upgrades. Yeah. This us. Well, not us, because we can't afford that. Like, right, you just go through. That's them. That ain't us, right? You know, the finance people, nope. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You can get number two level stainless steel. You can't get the number three one, right? Okay, moving on. But I remember we had a vision and promise and blueprint of what we would build. And we put down earnest money, right? A deposit of faith, a courageous deposit that, that they would do it. That a deal to build our house was done. And they broke ground. Oh, we were so happy. They're like, your lot, whatever, whatever, whatever. I can't remember the lot. And we went over there and drove, what? Look at that. Thank you. Right, God. Hallelujah. Went home happy. Came back a month later. Oh, Lord. That thing looked the same. What happened? What happened? And you remember, we came back a couple weeks later. The wood for building the house was across the street. Right? Still, nothing happened in here. I remember them days. And we began a whole financial break. We got that in place. We sold our home. We, we basically had to wait, trying to get in, trying to match up our rent being over and then getting in a new house. And then all we could do is wait and watch and watch and wait, looking at what was more often. And sometimes we got encouragement. You know what we would do? We would walk in other people's homes. You know, it ain't quite closed on it. You put the card in it at real estate. Oh, you're not supposed to do it. Okay, so we, we got in the back door somehow. They left it open. And then you go in there and you'd be like, this is what we're going to have. Right? You kind of look into the promise. But then you look across the street. The promise ain't happening. Right? It's so hard. Then it was a foundation. Remember? Yeah! We went home so happy. Woo! Still, that wood ain't gone up yet. And in the final part of this prayer of thanksgiving by King David, he thanks God for the house he will build, not just for his family. I want y'all to make this connection here. But as he does build it for David, for the good and great, it's for the good and greatness of all of Israel. That as the people of Israel saw the house of their king David built and established. And remember from the last sermon in this chapter, house doesn't just mean a physical house, but the legacy, the family, the progeny, the, 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 the progeny, sorry, the power, the strength, the honor of the family. That when the people of God saw David doing well and redeemed and good and great and cared for and used by God, it meant God was good and great and good and doing great things for them as people and individuals in the kingdom. Now, this same scripture has been used by pastors, right? If the pastor doing good, woo, he got to be doing the best, then y'all will be doing good. That ain't the way it's supposed to be used, okay? Right? If the pastor blessed with the, okay, we got getting in the wrong sermon. But when we would go to where the house was being built, sometimes we wouldn't see any working going on. Sometimes because work was halted because of rain and because of supplies not showing up on time with the inspector making something being redone. And from our perspective, we couldn't tell that things were getting better, that redemption was happening, that our house based on a promise was being built. But there was one person that reminded, restored our faith that as long as he was there in the building of the house, we knew it was being done, that things were getting better. You know who that was? Our assigned project manager. Nate. Remember Nate? 
Hey, boy, did, 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 he didn't look. He didn't look like he knew it was like he didn't look like anything, right? He 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 wasn't with the. He didn't have the white hat, the white construction hat with blueprints, right? But Nate was our project manager. He was the mediator. He was the go between builder and finance and home between promise and building. Nate was always there. Even when no one else was, even when no hammers were swinging, right? No work would be going on. And he would, we would just see his truck and see him out there and ask him questions and get explanations. But if Nate was there, let me tell y'all, just seeing him walking on the land, maybe he just did that to keep us off their back, just walking around. We're like, Nate, all right, Kelly, it's happening because Nate's there. And we would go, Nate, when, when it's happening? Well, you know, and he would make up some stories. It would be great just to keep us from going to that model home to talk to the people, right? It's going great. We just blah, blah, blah. He would tell us it was awesome. He was a sensible sign of grace that the promise was there and happening. For Israel, David was their Nate. And for believers today, God sent his son. So that we can sing, hasn't he done it? Lord, do it. And won't he do it? That if you have a relationship with his son, the mediator of God's good and greatness, through declaring him your Lord, and then experience the faith-building, sacramental, elemental presence in the preaching and reading and learning of his word and prayer and baptism and the Lord's Supper and the fellowship, testimony, small group kind of stuff and worship of the church, we see and experience and are able to know Jesus is there in our lives. We see and feel and know him redeeming as redeemer. Not Nate, not King David, but Jesus Christ the Lord. That if you know him as the Lord and Savior and King, if you begin to look for him and seek him out, right, you know things will get better. You know that God is at work redeeming and building and rebuilding us according to his goodness and his greatness. Anything else. Let me just go ahead and say it. Anything you read about 2021, and I've heard all kind of things, all kind of vulgar things said about 2020, and we're going into 2021, right? All of it is human conjecture. And not anything anybody can promise. Even your own conjecture is but conjecture. And you don't have the goodness or greatness to make it happen. But you know what David's son Solomon said? He said in Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house. We labor and worry in vain. Do you have a contract of redemption in 2021 that the Lord is building this thing? That you can expect goodness and greatness for the worst and biggest issues. Can you and do you see and know that there is a redeemer in Jesus that oversees and intercedes all over and through our lives? Because I'm going to tell you that when 2021 looks oddly just like 2020 in your marriage and relationships and finances and politics and social justice, when it appears that the house building of God's redemption has stopped, stalled, that he's not being good or great, you can say, God is good and God is great because he has established a house through Christ Jesus forever. In Christ, we know there is a redeemer. In Christ, God is good and God is great. Let us thank him for this past year and for the year to come, knowing things will get better.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. That um, you're here in our struggle. You're here when it just looks like a plot. (laughs) You're here in the rain. You're here when we are disconnected and we can't see what's going on. You're here because you came. You came in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who don't know you, who are making empty promises about 2021 to themselves, living on a hope that is not backed by anything good and certainly nothing great. I pray that we would turn to you. Lord, I pray that 2020 would be a reminder of how messed up we can make things. That unless you're building the house, we are anxious and labor and work in vain, even against ourselves. Jesus, come. Let us see you. Let us know you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.